If you are a Bangor listener, consider showing your support to community radio by becoming a member. WERU depends on listener support to bring you the music and voices you won't hear anywhere else. Call 469-6600 or visit our website, weru.org, to make a pledge today. If you want to learn about art walks and interesting shows going on around us, tune in to Café des Artistes, a weekly roundup of main art news, openings, and shows on Saturday Morning Coffee House at 8.30 a.m. on WERU Community Radio at 89.9 in Blue Hill and 99.9 in Bangor. Support for WERU comes from our generous listeners. Thank you. It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host, Ron Beard, is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, a major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. This morning, um, we're going to start with a, a radio production by Brooke Welty, who is a College of the Atlantic senior. This is her senior project. It's called The Kindness Project. There is going to be no great big change, you know, world event change. But I think that if everybody in their life tried to recognize the opportunities and offer one act of kindness a day, then I think the world would feel a little less self-absorbed and a little more giving. The concept of small acts of kindness is by no means unfamiliar. It's a common idea that people witness or experience every day. I'm Brooke Welty, and I've collected people's audio stories of these experiences for my senior project, titled The Kindness Project at the College of the Atlantic in Bar Harbor, Maine. The first story that I'll share is one that made such an impression on me because of its simplicity. Kate Mako is a storyteller. She's also the Sustainable Business Program Administrator at College of the Atlantic. Set in a place where, stereotypically, kind human interaction is rare, Kate's story demonstrates the power of the smallest, most effortless, and universal gestures. When I had um, recently graduated from college, I came back home to Bar Harbor, which is a seasonal community, very small, very rural. And um, in the winter, when I was done my summer job, I had the chance to go to Manhattan and sell Christmas trees with a bunch of Swedish 
guys <laughs> and a bunch of Mainer guys, mostly. Um, and so I did that, and it was one of the most wonderful experiences of my life. I did it for two years in a row. Um, but the thing in it I felt was most special was um, making eye contact with other people. Because in New York, you don't get to do that. <laughs> and you're not supposed to do that. And you're taught when you're a little kid that don't look at people, don't make eye contact. But when you're selling Christmas trees, like you're the little tree urchin girl. <laughs> and everybody wants to talk to you. And even if they don't buy Christmas trees, they still want to talk to you. Um, so my favorite thing was to sit at my tree stand and to see these people with these really hard, really tight very um, angry looking faces for the most part, walked down the street towards me and I would just watch them and then they would eventually look at me and I would smile and they would smile back. And it was these faces that were like, they looked like gargoyles and then all of a sudden they just lit up and they turned into the person that the person was and they looked so happy. And it was just a smile and they walked past and I kept telling my trees, but every single one of those smiles made my day. It just made me so happy and it made me feel like, you can go anywhere and you just have to smile at somebody and they will see you and they will probably smile back. <laughs> and that makes me continually happy. Did this experience impact you in any way larger than this, than just making your day? Not that I had entered it being scared of other people, but it taught, it, it sort of encouraged me not to be scared to approach a stranger and to be a person approaching another person that you don't know and um, connect with that person. And it's not necessarily in terms of a business relationship or selling them a Christmas tree, but more in terms of just being able to connect as one human being to another human being out on the street. And it's cold and it's evening and you just want to smile at somebody and they'll probably smile back. And that attitude, I think, is helpful because the opposite attitude... <laughs> creates these situations where people don't work together and they don't want to look at each other as a human being and sort of recognize even in an instant that, you know, they're two different people with two very different agendas and they don't maybe have much in common, but ultimately they do if they just make eye contact and smile at each other. How do you think these smiles affected these people? I think they loved it. They totally, I mean, they looked like they were so psyched to be smiling. And some people would even, like I started not counting, but sort of collecting the double takes where they'd look at me and I'd be smiling. And I mean, it wasn't a goofy smile either. It was just sort of like a, Hey, no smile. And they would see me smile and they'd smile back. And then they'd kind of like shake their heads and double take and look at me with another, like more curious smile. Like, are we really smiling at each other? <laughs> And I always thought that was so funny because I was like, why are you surprised that I'm smiling at you? But I think it is sort of a refreshing thing on your walk home from work or wherever it is. Would this, would it have been a very different experience if you were selling Christmas trees in Bar Harbor? <laughs> yes, because they all would have known me and sat and talked to me and, you know, all of that. Um, I think that was also a really fun experience for me because it's not like I had not been out of Maine, but it was nice to bring my small town attitude to a big town city and still have it work and still have it responded to um, in a way that felt genuine. Do you think that 
experiences like this or interactions like this can change the world? Absolutely. I absolutely think they can. I think a lot of it is that people need to get out of their comfort zones. And so for me, I was totally out of my element um, and I was thrilled to be out of my element, but it wasn't like an obvious thing to do and it wasn't necessarily an easy thing to do. And the job itself was pretty brutal. I learned a lot about myself. And then I think for these people, I don't know, I like to think it kind of stuck with them a little bit that like they may not have all their same routines on their way home and they may not, life may not be exactly how you expect it to be, which often can be a good thing. Kate reached out to perfect strangers in the cold months of a large city. She didn't need to do much, literally just move a few facial muscles and maybe nod once or twice. And she can assume that this gesture made a difference in the lives of these people. Certainly for a moment, maybe for a week or a month, maybe even a lifetime. The experience may have added to these people's perception of other people. It may have inspired them to smile at another stranger. And maybe the act kept being passed on and on. But all we know for sure is that this experience made a real impact on Kate's life and reaffirmed her belief that we're all human. Even if we look like gargoyles on the surface, maybe all we need is a smile. This is Jonathan Alpiard. I'm at St. Savior's Episcopal Church. I'm an Episcopal priest, and I'm meeting uh, to talk about human kindness. Jonathan and I met in his office at the church on Main Street in Bar Harbor, Maine. I met with Jonathan after nearly everyone I spoke with about the Kindness Project directed me straight to him. Everyone recommended that he was the perfect person to talk to about the subject. Jonathan's story is about the sabbatical he took to India with his wife three and a half years ago. And I'd been in India 37 years ago as a college student, and it was a transformative time in my life, a time when my, my sense of what it meant to be a human being in the world uh, just expanded so, so quickly and so radically. And when I had a chance to take a sabbatical leave... Uh, there was this sense that I wanted to go back to India to see how India had changed and how I had changed and how the relationship that I had with that trip might be different almost four decades later when we get off in the city of Mumbai. One of the first things we had to do before we collected our bags was to show our passports to... Uh, one of the officials there, to get out of the gate. And the official we approached down this little guided uh, walkway was a tall Sikh soldier, probably, if I'm six feet, this guy was probably 6'4". He had the typical Sikh, Sikh beard that was sort of, uh, they sort of wrap it up and pull it over above their head and had a turban, and he was in military garb. Very official-looking, very stern face. And he looked through our American passports and then looked back with these dark brown eyes and asked me a, a very piercing question. He said, and why are you here? Somehow this man asking me this question, I, I all of a sudden heard the question much more deeply than just 
I'm a tourist. Or So I said, well, I was here 37 years ago, and I wanted to show my wife so that she could meet people like you. And this man who was so stern and straight-faced, first his, his, his one side of his lips sort of curled with a, a little smile, and then a tear dropped out of his eye. And he said, welcome back. And I turned around and there, my wife was crying and I was crying. And I realized that this month and a half in India was going to be a lot more than just being a tourist. Why did this have such a great impact on you? Uh, I think it had such meaning because at that moment it connected me with what's most sacred and powerfully true about existence for me. What is that that's so sacred and powerfully true? That at some level we're all looking for that connection. That I was bringing my wife to meet him. And that I wanted to re-meet him. And that I wanted him to have a chance to meet us. Somehow that, that human need for, for connection and for meaning. How do you think this, this very brief instance affected this man's life? Oh, that's a great question. That's a wonderful question. You know, I like to think he went home and, and told his wife. I had this strange experience at the, at the airport today. It was, it was as if we had known each other and we're returning to something together. So I'm going to take, I guess, what I think it meant is what I saw in his eyes and felt from his word, that there was as profound a connection for him as there was for me. Do you think that situations or instances or acts like this can change the world? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I, yeah, I think that's part of the reason I do what I do. As an Episcopal minister serving in a, in a small town in Maine, I think the connections we make day by day, not just within those communities, but that we nurture in those communities with those beyond the communities. I think we, uh, we spend our money differently. We walk on the earth differently. We care about each other differently because of those interactions. And when they happen across cultural lines, beyond sort of language barriers, across religious, class, race, um, that all those things just break down that, that presumed distance we have from each other. What really define us is this more mysterious connection, the common humanity we share. Do you have a personal definition of altruism? Yeah, I do, I guess. Um, I think Jesus taught a way of emptying the self. Altruism to me is putting the knee-jerk, instinctual self-concern, preservation, down a step and putting the rest of all of life, including myself, at the top. And that's an act that is not just, I think, a belief system um, it's actually a, a way of living that has to be practiced. Um, it's not about religious faith as much as the practice of what we most truly believe and care about. It's at the heart of, I think, all of our major religions, and it's something we share in common. But the religion I'm talking about has less to do with an agreement about a set, set of beliefs. It's an attitude towards life, um, I find it in Buddhism, I find it in Hinduism, I find it in Christianity, because at the heart of a lot of these religions, 
they are still motivated by how do we deal with human life in a mysterious world we don't understand, where wonderful things happen and harmful things happen. How do we make the most of this world for all creatures? And at that level, I find people of many different religions find themselves connected to each other. So part of it is I look for human connection at that deeper level. And the human connection is what leads to altruism? I think I, th- I would say we have a deep need for human connection. And altruism is the practice of how to sustain that human connection. Now, what if what we were most deeply treasuring was connection with all people? In this moment, the surface differences didn't matter. He and the Sikh man were just two guys, sharing their human existence on this planet. Jonathan seems to be saying that it is in this moment that sums up this human religion that goes beyond our concept of religion, culture, appearance, language. This greater, deeper connection that we all, at our core, share. This kind-hearted interaction allowed for a split-second moment to be remembered for a lifetime. There's no act of kindness and altruism we can do that doesn't change literally the way the stars spin in the heavens. My personal inspiration for this project also has a story behind it. For the past few years at COA, I've been studying environmental law and policy and engaging as a grassroots organizer on a number of different levels, with full intention of saving the world, through campaigns involving climate change, development projects, and local, national, and international legislation. Recently, I've become burnt out, a process that began with my trip to Copenhagen for the climate negotiations, and I've been needing to find my initial inspiration. This came to me in the form of a surprise party that I had planned for a friend last summer. My friend Tanvi, a fellow COA student, was planning on going back to her homeland of India for our entire senior year. The morning after her party, which was nothing more than friends, some drinks, and a few streamers, I was frying an egg in the kitchen when she came in and started telling me what a wonderful night she had had and how she was thinking about staying for part of the following year because of it because it made her feel so cared for. This small act, committed by Tanvi's friends, had such a profound impact on her that she was contemplating making a huge life decision based on it. That morning, I had the idea for this project. I wanted to hear about other people's stories of small acts of kindness creating larger impacts, even if those impacts are as simple as happiness. I've interviewed anybody with a story to share, with the intention of becoming re-inspired and hopefully inspiring others. This next story deals with the concept of paying it forward. While many people have heard of this concept through the popular movie titled Pay It Forward, way before this movie ever hit theaters in 2000, Mary Harney was putting this concept into practice. I was a student here when I was in my mid-40s. I had just learned to drive on your side of the road which uh, I always refer to as the wrong side. Mary Harney paints the buildings at College of the Atlantic in Bar Harbor. She sold everything she had in her home country of Ireland to attend COA when she was in her 40s. Today, Mary wears her paint-splattered jeans with pride. She'll always tell it like it is. 
My first ever interaction with her, I was making myself a cup of ginger tea in the cafeteria, and she came up to me and stated that herbal tea is not real tea. Black tea is the only real tea, and it has to be brewed correctly at that. We meet on the staircase that she and her work-study students are painting. Mary tells the story of a car, the same story that sparked her life's philosophy and practice of kindness. It was an old Chevy, and it cost me about 300 bucks. At one time, I had a, a serious breakdown, and I called the guy who usually did my car, and he said it would cost over $200, and I had no money. And so I happened to mention this to uh, my housemates, and one of them, uh, a gentleman who, he said he would uh, do it for me, and I said, okay, and then let me know how much it is, and I'll, I'll pay you. So he said, okay, and he went out, and he fixed it and got the car running, and I was extremely grateful, obviously, and I asked him what the charge was, and he said, no charge. And I was taken aback at this because this was like over $200 worth of labor if I was having it done by a mechanic. And I said, but surely you need something for your time and trouble. And he said, yes, I do. And I said, what, what is it? And he said, I want you to pass this on. And I had not heard of that before. And I said, so what does that mean? And he explained that... If someone offers you a gift, um, for instance, the labor and the time to make the car run, and didn't charge you for that, then there was um, a, um, a way of life in which you passed it on. It didn't mean that you had to go out and learn mechanics and fix someone else's car, but it meant that sometime in my life I would come across someone who would need a helping hand in some way that I would be able to deliver and that I would have the, um, the gift and the uh, giving to pass that on. And so ever since that day, I have engaged in that practice at various times in my life. I have been able to pass that gift on, and whenever I do, I will say to the person, this is what you need to do. And I've had people come back to me and said, you know, I've been doing that, and it feels awesome. It really does feel awesome when you do it. And you don't tell anyone that you've done it. You know, you keep that part to yourself. You know, there are so many opportunities in daily life, every day, to pass a gift on. It might be really small. They don't have enough change for a cup of coffee. Oh, you know, what's the big deal? Pass it on. It may be a bigger thing, in which case, pass it on. And in turn, I think human beings can learn this, that acts of kindness, that it's like the pebble in the pond. It has a ripple effect, because everyone you pass it on to passes it on to someone else, and they, in turn, pass it on. And soon... The community is doing all sorts of really good acts of kindness. So can you remember that, that initial deed that you did to pass on from the mechanic? Yes, I can. Yes. Mary decides not to tell me and explains why. 
Well, I think it loses something. In the, it's almost like, to me, it's, it's almost like a little bit of magic in my life. If you so, so, show someone your magic trick, it's not magic anymore. You've, you've given the secret away or, the, you know. On the other hand, that could also be a good thing to show someone else how to do a magic trick. They may get a good sense from doing it. But in my life, I have been um, self-centered. I can say that about myself. And um, this is a good practice for me. And it makes me feel that somewhere in the world, someone else is passing that on. That it doesn't have to be like right now. You may not be in a position to give someone a helping hand or, you know, but somewhere in your life it'll happen. It always does. Do you think this kind of, this kind of act, especially with the passing it on, can change the world? I think it can. There's going to be no great big change, you know, world event change. But I think that if everybody in their life tried to recognize the opportunities and offer one act of kindness a day, then I think the world would feel a little less self-absorbed and a little more giving. I think in daily life, there's, all, there's that constant small, small opportunity, a smile, whatever. You know, and I think if we all reach out and do one act of kindness a day and explain the purpose of it, it's not self-aggrandizement. It has to be done with a genuine heart. That's the other thing. You can't say, right, did that today, tick, tick, done, up on my good bookmark. You know, it's not like that. I asked Mary to talk about the explanation that she gives after committing an act of kindness for someone. Sometimes I do things and uh, just don't even mention it, you know. But if it's something significant, and by significant I mean that it's going to help a person who's deeply in need, then the explanation does help them to understand. It can also help another person to accept the gift because many of us give, but we can't receive. We're unable to accept the gift or a gift without feeling I'm not worthy or whatever, you know. Whereas if you explain to someone that I'm not doing this for me, I want this to spread and be passed on, I think it helps a lot. And it's never mentioned again. If I see a person that I've being able to do that for, I do not mention it again. Never. And they don't. Do you think it's still selfless, even if you feel good about doing it? Yeah, I think the good feeling good, it's not like feeling uh, virtuous or holy or anything like that. It's almost like um, a smile. It's, it's like my heart smiles. You know, that, that's what it feels like. Mary's concept and practice of the passing on of kindness evokes the feeling that we're all in this together. There is no solitary, privileged, kind person who helps underprivileged people. In Mary's view, we all do, or should, help each other in a way that evens out in the end. While these stories take place in very different locations by very different people, the themes are universal. 
The concept of human connection runs through all of the stories that were shared. It runs through all acts of kindness. When people connect with each other, especially in a positive way, regardless of the scope of the act, it makes a difference in both of their lives. All of the people I interviewed told me that it felt even better to be the giver of the act than to be the receiver. I set out to become inspired, and I think I could definitely say that the project has accomplished this. I had lost sight of my initial inspiration for wanting to change the world. It turns out my inspiration was simple. People. At the start of my environmental activism back in high school, I had the same core reasons for becoming a community organizer as I have for doing this project. I wanted to help people. There are many ways of doing this, and sometimes the smallest things we do for each other every day make the biggest differences in the end. Thank you. This was this was uh, a wonderful thing. I'll just remind folks that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns, a special Talk of the Towns this morning here on WERU, and we've just heard um, The Kindness Project, a description of The Kindness Project by Brooke Welty, who was a College of the Atlantic student, um, a senior, and that was her senior project to, to put this project together. I'm glad to welcome Brooke to the studio along with Jonathan Appleyard. Jonathan is the rector of St. Savior's Episcopal Parish in Bar Harbor, and he was one of the, the storytellers in... Um, uh, Brooks project. So welcome to both of you. Brooke, let's uh, start with you. Again, thank you for sharing that with our listeners. It was uh, just wonderful, and I really love the, the interconnections that you kind of wove um, as you told the, had other people tell the stories. You did a nice job of weaving that together. Just, just really great. Um, you spoke about some of your inspiration for the project and, and uh, kind of feeling burned out. Tell us a little bit more about that. You went to Copenhagen. Um, I think you had high hopes for some change that we might see in, in terms of climate policy. But that didn't really happen, did it? No, it didn't. Um, I guess in terms of my activism, I had been increasingly going from a very local level to a state level to then national and then international in Copenhagen. And it wasn't so much that I had... I was really excited to meet people in Copenhagen. And once I got there, I sort of realized that it was really about networking. And while that's very important, I think I realized that I wanted to be making relationships with people, I mean, making friends, as hokey as that sounds, but um, I didn't really feel like I was able to connect with people on a real level there, and that's what really, that's what was frustrating for me, not so much about, you know, the international policy. And yet I can remember that those events and some of your colleagues as, as students or young people telling real stories um, did have an impact on how people saw climate change. Mm-hmm. Talking, you know, I can remember the, the story of, of an island resident who, um, you know, from a, a, a country that is an island that's going to be subsumed by the ocean. That had to have made a difference, that individual connection. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So what, was your, what were some of the reactions when you told people you were going to do the kindness project? Um, as you began to talk with that, what were some of your reactions and how did you actually get started with these interviews? Um, people were pretty surprised at first. Um, it seemed like a fairly drastic shift from doing a lot of grassroots activism, but at the same time, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of the ultimate grassroots. It's the smallest thing that things that people do for each other every day. Um, and in terms of how I got started with this, um, I guess I just started to tell people about it and see if anyone had any stories and put posters up around around town in Bar Harbor. Um, yeah. 
I mainly just sort of talked to people about it and mm. people seemed pretty interested. A little bit maybe confused at first, but then they sort of realized that it was a really relatable subject that everybody can kind of, I think, I hope everybody's experienced an act of kindness in their life. What do you think the confusion was about? Oh, I think that was sort of a, you know, you know, I thought I thought Brooke was this policy wonk. What's she doing <laughs> interviewing people about kindness? Um, mm. But that was more just people I knew, I guess. But right. it was, yeah, people have been pretty interested in it. And just, you know, for those um, who are interested in this sort of thing, what were some of the mechanics to the process? How did you actually conduct the interviews? Did you meet in people's homes? I guess you caught Mary Harney on, on the stairs when she was painting. But <laughs> tell us a little bit about the mechanics of how you actually collected these stories. Um, I, I used a digital recorder, um, which I was able to borrow from COA's library, um, which was very nice. Um, I, I would go to people's homes. I would meet people on campus if it was COA people. Um, I met, you know, I met Jonathan Appleyard in his office, um, and I would just sit down and ask them questions. And the questions kind of evolved over time, and I learned, I learned a lot as I was doing it about various types. You know, I learned the Mary, like Mary Harney's pay it forward concept. I started asking other people about that after she started talking about it. Um, so the project kind of evolved because you were learning things as you did it. Yeah, definitely, Great. definitely. And I had never worked with audio before, so I was, I kind of had to teach myself Pro Tools, the, you know, the audio editing software and everything. And what was that like? You were you were doing that pretty much alone. Yeah, um, I had I had some some great friends at COA who were helping me out with it, but um, um, it was it was interesting. It was a steep learning curve. It was fun. I right. really enjoyed doing that actually. Great. Well, Jonathan, let's bring you into the conversation. Um, it seems like um, your story of connection, and do I remember from Latin that religion is something about connection? Is yeah. That, that's it, the word? That's the word? It means to bridge from right. one side to another. Right. So, so this is a natural bridge for you. But tell us how, how you think kindness fits into the whole kind of human condition. Where does it kind of fit in, in, in this? Is, is kindness part of who we are as people? That's a great question, and... Uh, there's been a lot of research recently. Because mm. um, we, we, we think about, you know, uh, Darwin and the so social Darwinism and survival of the fittest and blood and tooth and nail. and But that isn't really what people are finding as they look back. No, they're actually finding that perhaps kindness is something that has evolutionary uh, advantages and that it actually does help people survive because... Uh, survival is not just an individual thing. It's something we do as a species and working with other species. So kindness has some roots both evolutionarily, but I think even, I don't know much about the, the neurosciences, but they're even looking at the way the chemistry of the brain works differently when we act with kindness. Mm. So when, when um, Kate told the story of the gargoyles in New York City all of a sudden smiling, there was some brain activity going on in, in there when they saw each other and, and in pre, real terms. And right? pre-conscious. Yes. Uh, unintentionally, she was, she was connecting to, to a part of those people that they weren't even aware of at that moment. Mm. It woke it up. Mm -hmm. And then something happened between the two of them. Mm. So there's, there's that whole scientific way of looking at it. Um, I think there's also, though, we're shaped by one another. I, I know in just sitting down and learning from Brooke what she wanted to do, and that, that idea of being burnt out. I was burnt out as a college student at one point in my life. I didn't know where I was going because I'd pushed the boundary as far as I could, and I didn't see the world changing. And I, like her, had to find a new way forward. 
But when she was telling me that, all sorts of memories came back to me, and I experienced a kindness from you just being asked to share. That's, that's great, and I think that's what radio is supposed to be. It's, it's kind of a way for people to share stories. So I'm going to just ask listeners to call in now with their stories of kindness. Maybe they've, um, 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 as Mary Harney talked about in her story, um, paid it forward in some way, or maybe they've been the recipient of an act of kindness. So give us a call if you'd like to share a story of kindness here on Talk of the Towns, one uh, 866 Six two five nine three seven eight. That's one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. And share your story of kindness um, here on Talk of the Towns as we talk with Brooke Welty, a student from College of the Atlantic, who's um, the author or the creator of the Kindness Project, and Jonathan Appleyard, who's the rector of the Saint Saviour's Episcopal Paris in Bar Harbor. Um, Jonathan, I'm going to stay with you for just a minute. The the Golden Rule um, is part of all religions. You know anything that I've ever read, mm-hmm. um, correct? And is that is that kindness? Is that um, thinking about kindness? Is that a universal kind of truth that not only might it be part of our evolution, but part of our our teaching? Well, I know not everybody who's listening uh, paid close attention to everything that was said, but Mary said something very interesting in in the interview Brooke did with her. She was talking about there was a a feeling in playing paying it forward that made her heart smile and she differentiated that from doing things that were would make her holy or doing the right thing virtuous living Mm. and i was thinking what what an amazing thing that the sense of having one's heart full and and smiling is an act of kindness that i think is across all human uh, cultures and religions but religions have an unfortunate sort of um, ability to codify and regularize certain acts as being defined as holy or sacred, where people all of a sudden are distanced from this natural need for human kindness, either giving and receiving. And so we, we got this play between what we want to do and then what we do as a society to judge people who are doing it right or not doing it right. Mm. And part of what shuts us down and makes us, I think, those gargoyle faces is learning early in our life that certain acts which we intended to be acts of kindness were not received as we intended. Maybe they weren't kind. That whole learning curve Mm. creates this distance. So when it comes to the golden rule, long way around the mulberry bush, the, the golden rule is part of every religion, but that doesn't necessarily make the hearts smile. Mm. It mm. can become just another duty to tick off mm-hmm. the good boy, the good girl list each mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. I think all religions want us to do those acts of kindness as genuinely caring for one another and the earth. Mm. And the, the codification can be helpful to remind us, to refresh our memories. But as soon as there are rules or regulations that define righteousness or goodness or make us a member of a club that's better than another club, Mm. they kill the very thing that they sought to Mm. ennoble. 
Great. We're talking about the Kindness Project and Acts of Kindness here on WERU. You can participate as well. Give us a call, 1-866-625-9378. I do believe we have a caller on the line. Let's go ahead and find out where this caller is from. Maybe share your first name and where you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question and comment. Good morning. This is Yo in Tremont. Why should kindness be a specific act? Isn't kindness an outlook, an attitude, a way of life? Is a question that I have. Great. Thank you for the show today. Great. Uh, Brooke, a response to that caller, and then we'll take another call, I think. But um, is, is, is kindness just an act, or is that part of how we live? I think, it's, I think it should be part of how we live. I think mm. it is part of how we live. Um, I think, you know, in terms of the kindness project, it's easier to, you know, right. talk about a specific act. But um, I think, yeah, I think it's a way of life. It's, um, it's something that's a huge part of life no matter what. I think even if you're not trying, it's still something that's very much there. And that's what Jonathan was talking about. It's if we make it a rule, <laughs> the golden rule, then it sometimes becomes a checklist. If we look about it, look at it as an attitude of life, it ceases to become a rule. It's how we live every yeah. day. We have uh, more phone calls. Let's go ahead and take the first one. Give us your name and where you're calling from, please. Uh, hi, this is Lori from Stonington. Great, Lori. Thanks for and, calling. Um, this show kind of segues from something I heard on the radio earlier. Um, they were talking about... Um, rigid and loose cultures, hmm. and how it correlates uh, significantly with a high population and under uh, cultures that are under siege. So, an example would be the Japanese are a fairly rigid um, culture with a lot of sort of rules and regulations, and they also have very high popula- population density. Um, and in order to sort of get along. Um, people need to observe uh, these cultural rules. And I just, you know, in my own experience, I traveled uh, very briefly, just a couple weeks in Japan and um, quite extensively in South America, and I found the Japanese to be exquisitely polite. I mean, people would, uh, if you ask directions and you walked away, and they thought of something they should tell you. They might, you know, jog two blocks to catch up to you and tell you. And by the way, I forgot to tell you, you know, <laughs> um, amazingly polite, but not uh, as warm and welcoming, I would say, as I found when I was in Peru, where I just sort of showed up on someone's doorstep and they took me in for three months and uh, made me one of the family and uh, were just amazingly kind and I'd go around town and do portraits of little kids and because um, I am an artist and um, give them the drawings and they were so delighted. Um, anyway, they were it was just a wonderful experience and I think culture has something to do with this. Mm-hmm. So, Great. Lori, thanks so much for your story and for that observation. We have another call. Let's take that and see what uh, folks are thinking about. You're on Talk of the Towns. You can participate as well, one 625 9378 as we talk about kindness on Talk of the Towns. But um, give us your name and where you're calling from, and go ahead with your comment, please. Yeah, hi, this is Dave. I am really grateful for the show. It's a wonderful show. Um and I, 
It's, I'm not going to tell a story for sort of the reasons that we already heard. Uh, though, you know, there are many, I'm sure, that we could all think of if we thought uh, in our own lives. Uh, but I, I am interested in the notion of the segue, because lately it seemed that uh, maybe ever since the rapture that everything, not quite everything, but an awful lot of things have been just segueing together. And I wanted to recall us back to... Uh, Bob Dylan's poem that we might have heard uh, just before this show began, where he said that both that he had to that there were only two knobs on 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 a door, two possible knobs on a door, and uh, basically that one was God and one was Woody Guthrie, and you could find them both at sunrise or sunset, I forget which it was, uh, in the Grand Canyon. And I thought that was just a wonderful way to put it. And uh, I think it relates to the whole uh, conversation about kindness and acts of kindness and uh, Yo's question about whether it's maybe a way of life. Uh, how do we know if we've all of a sudden crossed the threshold? You know, if it's not going to rise up and hit us in the face in our material world, and yet we've crossed the threshold, how are we going to recognize this? <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe that's what we're talking about. Great. Well, thanks for your com thanks. comments, Dave. Um, what, what's this sense that, you know, Laurie told the story of, of does culture shape how we behave in the world? Does environment shape how we behave in the world? And then this notion of threshold. Thoughts, Jonathan or, or Brooke? The interplay between the rules and, and uh, the breaking beyond rules, I... I I think what Brooke has drawn our attention to in the project is that kindness is something that happens between human beings, all of whom are affected by rules. Mm -hmm. Those folks in Peru also had rules of hospitality and, and they had you know, limited provisions, uh, limited time. Uh, somehow there was a connection Lori felt there that really touched her. And yet the, the Japanese person jogging two blocks was an act. I think of politeness, but depending on how it was experienced, might have also been kindness, mm. too. Um, we do live in an enormously structured world. We will continue. I think the, the rules and regulations that define modern life are almost, almost overwhelming. And yet, there's always the choice that individuals and small communities have to move beyond those and to act with decency towards one another. And the threshold for me is recognized not individually. It's, it's, it's something we learn together as we talk and laugh and dance and, and cry and maybe even sometimes cause minor injury. We learn what's really important to each other by listening and learning from each other. Mm. So uh, Brooks' project <laughs> brings us to a threshold. Um, if we if we share those stories as you're you're attempting to do through radio, um, we get to recognize the commonality in our own experience and the experience of others. Wonderful. We have one more call. Uh, go ahead with your question or your comment, please. But tell us uh, your name and your first name and where you're calling from. Yeah. Good morning. Uh, this is Thomas from beautiful downtown Hill. Um, <laughs> Calling in this morning to uh, create some awareness of the issue of having acts of kindness not necessarily be public, talked about, uh, 
put into a project, but just being acted out. Right. And completed and being anonymous with no sense of having personal gain or developing merit, but just for the act itself. And we all know and interpret that differently as to what kindness is. So that's my comment. Great. I'd like to add that in there this morning, and thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much for your call, uh, Dave. I have a Thomas, rather. And, and I think um, we've, we've talked a little bit about that, um, that Mary Harney was very reluctant to share a specific act of kindness, but she was happy to talk about the process and, and what it's meant to her. Yeah. We have um, some other calls coming in. Um, Brooke, as you think about this and where you'd like to go, what else would you like to do with a project like this? I don't really, I don't really know yet. Um, I think I'd like to continue collecting stories, but um, I think the last caller was totally correct, and it's really difficult. This is a, I mean, it, it is a hard thing because people don't want to share, you know, anonymous story, anonymous stories of kindness because those are supposed to be a personal thing, and so it's it's kind of a, a fine line, figuring out which stories you can share. But I find that often it's the recipients of the kindness um, that feel more comfortable telling because it wasn't something that. You know, they're they're not getting the the merit. They're the ones that are that have felt you know some kind of great impact um, mm. from you know from this act of kindness that someone else has um, acted you know for them. Mm-hmm. And Mary's comment was that w- sometimes we're not very good recipients. We we have a hard time receiving things. So that's really a, a great kind of um, gift when we realize we can receive an act of kindness. Jonathan, I'm going to connect it to uh, Mary's Celtic background, but. There's something about power and mystery. She she said there was a magic mm. that you could lose very easily if you talked about it. And I think that's a really great insight. Um, I always appreciate it when we have newspaper stories and TV reports of acts of kindness, particularly in a disaster like in Joplin, Missouri. And yet at the same time, there's something in me that instinctually uh, feels like Mary, that, that we've got to watch out that once we start turning the spotlight of our consciousness to these things, we can begin to lose a magical power of changing life and touching one another. And so I just, I just want to acknowledge that magic and power and mystery is a part of this. Great. We're going to take one more phone call, and then I think we're going to, we've got one more segment from your project. But let's go ahead with your comment or, or question, please. Tell us your name and where you're calling from. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Ryan, and I'm calling from on point right now. So I, if I patch out, please disconnect me. I don't want to water down the quality of this conversation. Can you hear me okay? Yes, go ahead. Great. Uh, yeah, I had uh, two points that I wanted to just throw into the uh, bullion base of today's conversation to encourage people that are listening um, that may take this onto their own, um, their own lifestyles and, and daily routines. And, and the first is that doing... I feel that doing acts of kindness to get a full personal satisfaction of, of doing this, as well as a community and a social level, is not something that you have you can do once and and really feel the the, the full weight of it. It's it's like going to the gym. You co- continue to go and you eat well, and you listen to your doctor and you go and you go and you get better at it. At the more you do and the more you do it, the more you enjoy it and the more you gain from it. So just to encourage people to keep at it. If they don't feel like they're getting there from doing it once, keep at it and keep at it and go and go. And it gets better the more you do it. It just becomes a, um, an amazing thing the more you do it. 
It's both and, a, a way of life and a muscle. Totally. Exactly. A muscle <laughs> is a great way to great. put it, definitely. Ryan, and thanks I, Thanks for your call this morning. We're, we've got some other things to, to oh, sure conclude. Enough. Thank you very great much topic. for your call. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're, you're, talk, you're tuned to Talk of the Towns. Um, we're about to wrap up um, our program about the Kindness Project of Brooke Welty, who's a College of Atlantic senior. Um, she's joined in the studio with Jonathan, uh, by Jonathan Appleyard, who is the rector of St. Savior's Episcopal Parish. Um, uh, Brooke, would you introduce this next piece that we're going to share? Um, sure. So this next piece is one of, um, is a very short story that I collected. Um, I I do introduce it in the in the clip, but it's um, my professor's five-year-old son, um, and I, I interviewed him while I was babysitting. Great. Let's hear that clip. Hey, why is it not recording? It is recording. Oh. I interviewed Max, my professor's five-year-old son, one night while I was babysitting. We sat on the floor of his playroom, playing with Legos and a toy treasure chest. Max wore my headphones so he could hear our conversation amplified in his ears. We had to do quite a few different sessions because he kept wanting to hear whatever we had just recorded. Between talk of toys, boats, Legos, and pirates, we had the following conversation about kindness. Say things. Thanks. <laughs> do you know what kindness means? Being friendly. Being nice. Being nice. What do you do that's, that's nice? A share. Help. Are people are people nice to you? Mm -hmm. Um, some of them are. Yeah. What do they do that's nice? They play with me. Are pirates nice? Mm, not really. Some pirates are. Yeah. Yep. Some pirates are. Some aren't. Max goes on to describe something that happened while at school with his friends Liam and L. Um, L knocked his um 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 house down where his train was living on. And they laughed, but I didn't. And that, and that, and he, and he hugged me. That made us feel happy. What happened? Elle knocked it over, and then everyone else laughed, but except me, I didn't. And and Liam hugged me because I was his best friend. Because I knock it down or laugh at him. Why didn't you laugh at him? Because he w didn't want me to, so I hold my laughness. You held your laughness. I did. For Max, kindness is what happens when someone plays with him. It's something that someone does for him that makes him happy. It also means being nice to a friend, sharing, and often for a five-year-old, being nice has immediate rewards, such as a hug to show that he has done something kind. His five-year-old concept of kindness is so genuine and unadulterated. He even understands that the world is not black and white, that all pirates are not necessarily bad. Thanks so much for listening to The Kindness Project. Special thanks to Kate Mako, Mary Harney, Jonathan Appleyard, Max Friedlander, and his parents, Ursula and Jay. You can find more stories at Hum Journal. There's going to be no great big change, you know, world event change. Well, well um, there are always some t technical difficulties, even in kindness. Um, tell us where, where folks can learn more about the Kindness Project, Brooke. It's at humjournal, H-U-M-journal.com slash kindness. Great. So um, your hopes are, um, again, you said a little bit, you, you don't exactly know where you're going, but you're interested in radio. You're, you think you, this might be something that... Uh, yeah. Yeah. As of recently, um, very, very new development. Yeah, I had I had no idea that I would be interested, but it's I really like it. 
Great. And Jonathan, any any thoughts as you think about um, uh, Brooke's project and and your connection with with Brooke? Well, I I. I <laughs> just the excitement that uh, with our callers today, just in the conversation with the three of us here in the studio, the, the power of connections, uh, radio is just a very unique way of getting us to think and listen to each other. And it's, I, it's a powerful thing. And I'm very grateful for ERU for being here. Brooke, you've used this medium in a way that really gets people connected. And I'm grateful for having met you and for all you've done. Great. And, and Brooke, final, final words? Um, thank Ooh. you for listening. Sure, <laughs> sure. Well, thank you both for being with us this morning. Um, this has been Talk of the Towns. I want to remind you um, that this program with Spruce, with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association, with offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WLU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio, Brooke Welty, whose kindness project was the feature of our program. She's from College of the Atlantic. Jonathan Appleyard is the rector of St. Savior's Episcopal Parish in Bar Harbor, and we heard from a number of folks on um, the interviews that uh, Brooke did. Thanks to Amy Brown and Joel Mann for engineering our program this morning. Stay tuned for On the Wing. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning.